Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the XL Podcast, where we get to look inside the lives of corporate leaders, startup founders, and how they're making a small dent in the universe. Joined today by Alicia Conninherd. Alicia, welcome to the show. Hey Graham, really, really excited to be here. It's great to have you here, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So we're going to look into the world of funnels. I don't want to scare yes. people off because this is a, a really important part of not just branding, marketing, but the whole idea of building an audience and building a followers as well. So we're going to go there, talk about funnels and the whole experience involved in that. Alicia, before we go there, let's talk some about your background. How did you get into this world? Were you always a marketer, personal branded, public speaker type person, or did you come from a different kind of world? Yeah, good question. So I didn't choose the funnel life. The funnel life chose me. That's what, you know, we say in, in the funnel world. Basically, I started my career in sales. So very much like cold calling, telco sales, all that sort of stuff. The stuff that puts hairs on your chest and is good for you to do in your early 20s. And I eventually moved into digital marketing in an agency. And eventually my agency years took me to a, a an agency in Australia called King Kong, which some people might be familiar with. And I was one of the first employees there. So I was pretty early in my 20s and built a team from scratch doing this sales funnel stuff and learning about direct response copy. So basically had zero idea what it was. And it was just like, hey, welcome to the team. Now go build your own team and figure all of this stuff out. So King Kong was awesome. Um, ended up building it up from just myself to about uh, seven or more other conversion rate optimization and sales funnel specialists across functional team of email marketers, designers, um, business analysts, email marketers, all of those sorts of things. And I decided to leave King Kong by the time I'd done about 400 different campaigns, everything from emergency plumbers and home builders to the other end of the spectrum of Brazilian butt lifts and porn addiction counselors. So. I have seen it all, I think, just about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, it's a range and everything in between. So it's about 120 niches by now when I have sat to, to sort of count it out. And after I left there, I basically did exactly what I thought I would never do and went and built another sales funnel and conversion team at Founder Magazine for, hmm. for Nathan Chan, some people might be familiar with, and built that team from the, from the ground up. and. Worked with really interesting people like Nick Shackelford, who's a big Facebook marketer, or Joe Decina, who created Spartan Race and yeah, selling stuff online for 2K. And then I had decided to do it for myself. And that's kind of the the intro and the sequel to how we got to persuasion experience today. Yeah, here we are. I love the starting point as well. There's so much to talk about here. Doing the cold calling, that was my background as well. The 120 calls a day. Mm-hmm. You know, you, in my day, was phoning the yellow pages and pitching people the idea of, you know, selling them products that, you know, at that time, we didn't have the internet. 
it was just numbers game. Where did you get your start in? What sort of things were you selling? I know you say telecoms. What, what sort of packages were you selling? Mobile telecoms or what kind of Well, f- for the cold calling, that was all around energy. So, I was mm. selling bills like any, and different energy providers. I was 19, never paid a bill in my life. Didn't even really know what they looked like, but- Apparently, I was good at sales and yeah, I would get people on the phone, convince them to look at their bill with me, compare their rates and get them mm. just to, to change energy providers, just cold calling from, you know, anywhere from 8am to 8pm at night. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. It's definitely not for everyone though. I don't no. think I could go back to it. Yeah. It's tough. It teaches you a lot of things though, doesn't it? That Absolutely. World. I know people think of that as probably quite soul destroying for a lot of you know, uh, people starting out, it's all, it's popular with graduates as well, because, you know, sometimes it's a job you can start out with little in terms of skill or training. You just need that kind of determination. But I think you, you learn so much, right? You learn, that's the beginning of learning numbers, data, you know, doing the numbers. It's the first time you'll ever sit with somebody. I remember my manager used, manager used to sit me down and go through the ratios. How many calls mm. have you made? How many bookings did you make? So all of this was like an introduction to like the science behind it. And I think if you learn that, you kind of learn the discipline, which was the hard part of sales and marketing, which was all about process at the end of the day. That I know they keep saying it, it's so overdone as an expression. It's a numbers game. And people know that, but very few people actually know their numbers as well. And I'm sure that's something we're going to talk about today, understanding the numbers and the data behind sales and marketing. So we're going to go there and shout out to the founder team as well. I did a podcast with Nathan. He's a great guy. They've got an amazing setup, I think, you know, in terms of how they've managed, they've captured that SME market, I guess. They're really kind of focusing on aspirational and yeah, a lot of aspirational people wanting to quit the nine to five and start their own thing. Yeah. But they've done it in a way which is very authentic. There's a lot of people doing that who, you know, you quit the nine to five and the next picture on the website is, you know, sitting on a beach in Bali with a laptop, you know, that's the dream that people sell. And I think there's a lot of hucksters doing that, but Nathan and the team at Founder have done it in a very authentic way. I feel this is like, this is how it is, you know, it's not yeah. selling that sort of location, independent lifestyle dream to people. So that's great. So that would be a great place to learn as well. So I'm curious to hear about what you picked up from there on your travels as well, what you've learned from these people you got exposed to, you know, how it made you think about things differently. So let's bring that all up to the present now. What is the problem that we're solving? Let's, let's talk to your average startup or your average medium-sized company who has to acquire customers. They could do the cold calling. They could do Google ads. They could do the hustle, you know, getting out and pressing the flesh at industry events. Tell us about that. What's changing in that world at the moment, especially for, you know, acquisition of customers? Yeah, I think there's a few things changing. One is that consumers are a lot more educated and have a lot more access to information then, and this has been happening for a while, but a lot of people don't, they sort of think that, oh, we'll give them this and it'll be a very logical step-by-step process. And if we give them this, then they'll do this and then they'll do this. But people are 
I don't know if I can swear, but that shit crazy, like they're illogical. So they never do what we want them to do. And people think that they're operating in this contained ecosystem. They make them and they don't. There's something called the messy, the messy middle that Google talks about. And there's all this stuff that happens between when they know your brand to when they actually convert that you need to be very aware of. So that's, that's one of the things is being able to control what we call that persuasion experience. And second to that is just ads are getting really rough for people. A lot of people had an over-reliance on Facebook ads, especially. And since the iOS 14 updates, a lot of people are finding that they need to find where they can get control in their marketing and actually produce a predictable, scalable machine to unlock that next level of growth. And for our clients and our leads that we talk to, that's the number one thing we're helping them to do is that they've got proof of concept. Something's already working, but they don't, they're just hitting this ceiling. They don't know how to find that next level of scale in their business. Is it just getting more competitive? I.e. that now everybody has access to the ability to acquire customers from Facebook or Google. Now that everybody has kind of unlocked the knowledge of doing it, that just simply doing it isn't enough. Like it would have been maybe 10 years ago, you could run Facebook ads and wow, you could generate a lot of traffic to your website, right? What's happening now? Yeah, in in some respects, that's it, but it still doesn't matter because a lot of, like if you can do it well, that's the execution is the thing. A lot of people know what they should do, but there's a difference between properly executing the strategy. And a lot of people try traffic or something and they're like, meh, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But the execution was what was flawed, not the idea of making it work. What a lot of people actually find is that they've just tapped, they've just tapped the source of traffic as far as they can, because there's this thing called like the buyer's journey or their different levels of awareness. So there's unaware, they don't even realize they have a problem. Mm. And then it goes all the way to most aware. Like they know the problem and they know the products that can solve it. They're just looking at the competitors. So most people are trying to cherry pick down that end. Okay, they're looking for us. We're going to make ads for those sorts of people. But they're actually missing out on the rest of these people who can be educated and nurtured through this whole, what's often referred to as, as, as a type of funnel. And you can find people earlier in the conversation when they're trying to solve this problem, like a few steps back. But a lot of the time when we're working with clients, the reason that they can't unlock that scale is because there's only so many people that are educated by now trying to look for your product. So when you take a step back and you think, okay, what are the questions and the conversations in their minds earlier in that buyer's awareness and that buyer's journey, that's when they can unlock that scale. Hmm. Interesting. I want to dive a little bit into this because I'm sure the listeners, if they've ever been in that situation where, you know, they're running paid ads or they're trying to acquire customers or acquire growth effectively, that conversation naturally occurs, doesn't it? It's okay. Let's, let's say, for example, I am running a PR agency, for example, and um, I have an established business and I find that when I run all these ads, I'm getting people who are searching for specifically PR agencies or, you know, the kind of services that they may offer. But, you know, maybe further up that funnel, there may be people who are looking for, you know, like personal branding or like white papers or, you know, how, you know, how can I get on conference events and so on? You know, how do I get out there? How do I get in touch with journalists? So how do you now, for example, you know, what I'm trying to get to is that when you go through that funnel, you look at the bottom end because you see, oh, these are the people who 
are educated, they're looking for intent, they're looking for an agency or a service. And yet these people at the top, maybe they're less value to me, I'll forget about them. But what you're saying is this middle ground where you know there's a lot of volume here and people kind of miss out on them. I'm trying to understand how that works so that the listener can appreciate just how big this problem is. Yeah, so let's think of this PR agency. They're probably trying to cherry pick people literally typing in, I need a PR agency, best PR agency in my area. But that's the people who are most aware. So if we go back a step, what would be the types of problems that people would be searching to solve? How can I build my personal brand? How can I get on podcasts? How can I do blah? How can I get how to write a media release? Do you know what I mean? All of these Mm. problems that people have that you can solve. So, what you would do is just give value, give immense value, and you can start to position yourself as an expert and authority and nurture those people to that point in the funnel. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they don't want to, they're not willing to sacrifice the time. But hopefully, your business lasts three years, five years, 10 years. So, you want to be finding those people earlier in their decision journey. So, what you want to be doing is thinking about those problems they have because the way that people express their problems isn't probably the way that, that that you think they do, yeah? They're trying to find certain things because they're often symptoms of the better, like the actual problem they have. And in marketing, there's what somebody wants to hear and what they need to hear. Mm. So, often you need to go and meet them at the want to hear because they think that they're like, when I talk to clients or leads, they think traffic is their problem, but it's not. They've reached the cap of their traffic. Their problem is their traffic doesn't convert and pouring in more traffic is useless. <laughs> so, like that, but I can't tell them that. I have to take them on a bit of a journey and nurture them there and give them their own paradigm shifts. So, if businesses, and this is where a lot of content comes in, took that step back to solve problems, because that's all a business does is they solve problems. You know, nobody sells anything, no one sells a product or a service. We all just sell entry into a desired after state. That's it. We're just a vehicle to a desired after state. And once you start to think like that and you put more content and more things out there to help people get there based on how they explain their problem, that's when you start to cast a much broader net to nurture people to eventually become leads and customers. Hmm. So, is it a mistake that a business owner or a CMO or a head of marketing or you know anybody who's involved in acquiring growth might make if they just focus at that bottom end of the funnel, those people they think are highly valued and targeted, the ones who are literally typing in, I need a PR agency based in Melbourne today. You know, mm. that that's an extreme, but that's kind of like the top the top of that sort of bottom part of the funnel. Mm. Is it a mistake just to focus on them? Are we because I, I my argument would be, well, okay, if I'm t- targeting this top 90%, the people who may not yet know what the solution is, I've got to create content now. I've got to you know, create guides and white papers and put stuff out there. And I just want to get people on the website and convert them. Why can't I do that? Yeah. And I have this conversation all the time. And you can if you don't have aggressive growth goals. <laughs> but most people we talk with, like, I want to double my MRR monthly. I want to like 100 times X the leads we're getting in. Well, if you're just going to be fishing in the same pond, you, mm. you know, you're going to be getting the same results. Or as Einstein would say, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. And that's what people do with their marketing. They're not willing to do something different to get different results. They just want people to come to them. And we kind of call it, well, it's, it's a bias, but um, we call it this curse of knowledge. People know how great they are and they know they're, they know or they assume 
their product or service is the best, but they don't want to take time to educate the market. So it effectively doesn't matter <laughs> if they're not if they're not putting it out there and taking people on this on this journey. Yeah, and it's it's the only way you can scale is by building this bigger web and nurturing people to make the decision to to come on with you. Mm. I like this. This is really interesting. So what would six, a successful web look like? What would be, you know, I, I guess time obviously is a factor here. What would be those kind of initial steps? Where would a business owner or a CMO go? What would they need to focus on to go beyond simply trying to cherry pick these mm. this sort of very small well of leads? Have you ever heard the question, if you had to go and open a hamburger store, where would you go and open it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, where the hungry buyers are, you know, yeah. where like the hungry people are. And that's the same for digital marketing. So what you would do is you would look at your channel mix, your traffic or your traffic strategy, and you just figure out where is your target market. I think obviously there's paid, paid social, there's Google ads, whatever, but there's a lot of untapped things that people don't do, like joint partnerships and strategic partnerships and those sorts of things. So, that's the first thing is that people need to look at their channel mix and go where their target market are. Often that those different um, traffic sources have a different temperature of traffic, which means they're in a different stage of that buyer's journey. So, they're having a different conversation. So, somebody searching on Google, they're, they're looking for you. They're looking what you offer. Whereas on Facebook, they're looking at engagement announcements and cat videos. So, it's a little bit different and you have to address those people a little bit differently. And this is where it can people can overcomplicate it and get overwhelmed because there is a lot to do. You should be doing SEO. You should be doing your content strategy. You should be doing heaps of things. But marketing, good marketing, just distills down to three core pillars. Target market, message, offer. That's it. And if you can work those three things out, you will be successful. I work with very big brands that do not have a clear target market avatar. Like a, like a rich, a really, with really rich insights where they can very eloquently describe to me the pain points, the hopes, the dreams, the fears, what keeps them up at night, like really viscerally, like in their own words. And that is one of the biggest gaps is that people don't know how the target market describes their problem in their own words. And so when they push out marketing, it's in, it's in their words, not the target market's words. And people are looking at their marketing over the lens of, well, what's in it for me? And if you're not showing them what's in it for them, well, they don't care. They've got a thousand other things. We call it the war of the war for attention. It's people just think they're competing against their competitors. They're not. They're competing against reality TV, kids screaming, bills Cat to videos, pay, ad videos. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like where should somebody start? It's always those three pillars: really clear target market insights, mm. and you can set up really awesome loops to get that set up. Have a clear message. It's called uh, radical differentiation. What makes you different? Why should, it, why should somebody choose you over every one of your competitors? You would maybe or maybe not be surprised. A lot of people can't answer that. If I say to somebody, what's the number one problem you solve in one sentence? Most calls I take cannot answer that. So that's the next thing that really getting clear on your message and, and what problem you solve for people. What, what transformation do you provide? And then thirdly, it's that offer. We call it a golden hippo offer, which is um, after a, a D2C direct uh, response brand that we really love. But how can you stand out from a sea of noise? You can't just say, hey, get a quote. It's boring. No one wants that. How are you going to win the war for attention 
if you set out with a really boring offer. So you need to be able to create something that has immense value for the person or you're just never going to hit those goals. So that's where I would start, those three pillars. Hmm. If you can, walk us through a little bit with your own business. So getting a bit meta here, if we were to think Mm -hmm. about that buyer's journey, if I was primed and ready, I would be typing into Google, I need a traffic agency or I need an expert who can help me build a funnel or help me acquire leads or whatever it may be, or optimize my campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. And then boom, I'm right on the doorstep. Let's bring it back up to those people that you need to nurture. What are their kind of conversations? What's their language? What do they tend to do? And what do they tend, where do they tend to hang out importantly as well in the channels? Yeah. So this is an interesting point because when my partner and I first started, like just going out into business, we didn't want to do funnels, even though we're really good at it and we've done it 450 plus times because one, there's a saying that traffic people eat first and two, most people don't understand that they need a funnel. They don't understand that that's their problem that they're having. So, there's a big education Mm. for a lot of people. So, for us in terms of our channel mix, one of the first things that we did was set up strategic partnerships with traffic-only agencies. So, we're pretty obsessed with like Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy, for example. So, a lot of their principles swirl around in our brains when we're creating our business. But with Jay Abraham, you know, there's like three, those three pillars to grow a business. One of those is, and, and from one of those stems that, there's somebody that already has your customers engaged that you can create a strategic partnership with, that you can be complimentary to. So, mm. we did a lot of strategic partnerships with traffic-only agencies because we could benefit their clients and the clients would have a better retention rate and not leave. So, that was the first part around, yeah, like uh, for our audience, a warm referral is easier. Then in terms of our channel mix, the next thing is content. So, we're starting to get very bullish on our content and positioning ourselves as those experts. If we can avoid running paid ads for a while, we will and build on referral and word of mouth, but that's how we need to do it. We need to do it that we can position ourselves as experts in this industry and and what we're doing. And then we've also got a, a big part of it is um, having a funnel within our agency to get referrals from clients and other people. So, in terms of the types of channel strategy, that's where we're really focusing. But yeah, that's, that is a problem and why we had such an aversion to doing funnels. We were originally called Ecom Email Experts and we were like, e- email, they need email, there's heaps of e-commerce stores. Um, and it was really boring. So, we stopped that and we just kept getting signals of people wanting funnels. And so, now the next thing is that we just need to figure out, yeah, how can we meet people at their conversation? But most people are saying, I want more traffic. I need more traffic. That's the problem. And so, a lot of our content is around, like we don't, talk, we don't just talk about funnels because no one, no one thinks they need a funnel. <laughs> we need to talk about the problem, scaling. Like mm-hmm. how can you scale? How can you unlock this channel? Those are the problems that our target market are having, but it goes back, that's their symptoms. And then in the video, we can teach them what they need to hear, but we bring them in on what they want to hear. I like it. This is really good advice for listeners as well, who are asking, how do I build an audience or how do I get customers, leads, et cetera, is start with the problem. 
is speak to the problem. Nobody goes in and says, yeah, I need a funnel. Well, some people do because they're educated and they are shopping around for you know people who can help them. And to some degree, they're, they're, good, they're good referrals and they're good clients, but that's a very small part of the market. There's a lot of people out there. And this applies to everybody listening is a lot of people out there who don't even know about your product. Who mm. don't even know about your solution, don't even know it exists, don't even know the word. Maybe they're people who don't even haven't even understood what the word funnel means because they haven't spent so many years inside the industry, right? And this is really important. But they do know that I'm not getting enough leads, or they do know that I'm spending through the roof on pay-per-click, or they do know that I'm not getting aligned leads, which is another thing as well. They're getting mm -hmm. a lot of people who are kind of exploratory. Yeah. You know, and they take up Tire a lot of kickers. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said it. And there's other, there's worse words to describe them as well. So yeah. those people know their problem very well. And a great way to appeal to them is to talk to that problem. And content is a great way of doing that as you are now developing is how do I go and meet them at their conversation? And I think if I was a, a business owner thinking this through is that how do I now go and find my customers where they're talking or where they're looking for this information and put my content out there. I guess like just to, before we sort of move on to the, the bigger part about the industry as well, I guess the challenge with that, Alicia, is that it's very unfocused in the sense that, you know, you could be putting out a lot of content, posting on social media. I'm sure people do this as well. And, you know, I can't attribute it. I don't know where these guys are coming from. I don't know if they, you know, do they see one post and then sign up or do they have to see 20 posts like billboard ads at the bus stop, you know, the Coke ads, right? Then I go and buy a Coke. You know, I don't go and buy one just when I see it. So this is the trouble with this. And I guess I'm trying to speak to what maybe the frustrations of the listeners are is that how do I know it's actually going to get people through the door? Like if I publish a white paper or do a podcast or, you know, create a blog post. That's the faith in it, isn't it? That I don't know, but with pay-per-click, I know I can get X number, but doing this, my challenge is knowing whether or not it works. Yeah. And there are ways for attribution, but this is part of that messy middle. Yeah. So it used to be, I think the, the, the stat used to be, there was like, um, I don't know, eight or whatever touch points before somebody would make a decision online. Now it's like, I, it's like hundreds. People want to look at so many different things and there's so many touch points before they're going to make a decision. But the thing with our little monkey brains is with celebrity, we can't tell the difference between somebody who's on TV versus somebody who's in the YouTube land in a semi good looking studio. And a lot of people have an aversion to YouTube, for example, because they're like, oh, I'm only getting 50 views. I'm only getting 100 mm. views or whatever. Mm. But imagine if you were speaking in a room with 100 people, you'd freak out. You'd be very nervous, like getting in front of those people. That's 100 people that didn't know you beforehand. Or LinkedIn and having a content strategy for LinkedIn. Sometimes my posts will get from 1,000 up to 30,000 views. That's, that's 30,000 people that didn't know about me beforehand. And what it is, it's the momentum. So there's no glory in starting with a lot of this and there's no instant gratification. And so you have to be in it for the long term, but hopefully your business is in it for the long term and you're mm. building assets and an investment. It's not a cost. That's, that's the issue a lot of people make about their marketing. They don't understand the investment that they're making in the foundations that they're building within their business because they want results now. They've got goals to hit now. So you have to think about 
some of that first order of thinking always, but then they sacrifice their second, third, fourth order of thinking within the business by trying to grab quick wins. And that's how I see most businesses failing because they're so short-sighted and they don't build any of these foundations. They don't build a moat around their company. They're not known as the person who solves this problem in their industry. And then they're just the person that grabs the quick wins and that's it. It's all very transactional. And so, if you're not building something bigger and solving problems and becoming that go-to person, you just can't build a big scalable company. Mm. Agree. We see the same in podcasts as well, you know, and I think these are highly complementary as well. And, you know, the thought processes are the same that you can go and, for example, if you're going to go into a podcast purely to get people to buy your product off the shelf you're better off going to facebook to be honest and doing ads but what you can't do is is the multiplier effect which is you the personal brand as well i mean how much of that is really driven you know how much of all business now is really driven by the personal brand the human face and voice and that's a big part isn't it if you can i guess the missing part is having a funnel built around that which is really professionalizing it isn't it is mm. putting yourself out there. You know, we all know, for example, if I said, okay, name somebody in SEO, if you're of that world, you'd probably say, okay, Neil Patel or somebody like that, who has been extremely active in pushing content out there for 10 years and love him or hate him, he's there. And you could pick any kind of niche and you could say, that's that guy doing that thing. But what you kind of miss is that funnel to prof- you know, make sure that all of that effort is moving people towards an outcome, mm-hmm. which I guess what people have been doing for many years, and you know, I've been guilty of this, is just pushing stuff out there. And it just kind of, the energy dissipates, doesn't it? It doesn't go to the next stage or doesn't take them to the about me or find out more about what's going on or download something. So I guess that's why people get frustrated, you know, with the, you talk about the second, third order of thinking is they give up on it because they're happy to do the, the content and push it out there, but they don't have to funnel to keep nudging people down like gravity isn't it it's relentless it keeps pushing people down so i think that's kind of why people easily give up on this stuff so it's from that perspective they don't even know that such a thing exists as a funnel which says okay you can do all this content marketing out there but you've got to make sure you have the structure that it's going somewhere that energy is you know funneling literally into the end (laughs) goal yeah and and this is the this is the paradigm shift I would say that I have with a lot of people is they're like oh do I need a funnel like mm, what is a funnel and then we'll say well like a funnel isn't optional a funnel is what every business already has because a funnel is just the steps that somebody takes with your company from meeting you the first time to becoming a lead and it's just about whether you want to control and optimize that experience or if you're happy to leave a lot of it up to chance and, and not fix it up. And so there's a lot of persuasion and persuasion techniques that people should be using in these touch points and thinking about them logically and not trying to just get cheap, quick wins, but really thinking about how they can build a relationship and keep moving somebody to the next logical step. Because every hmm. touch point, the purpose of that touch point is simply to move somebody to the next step. So often it's to educate and to move the next step, but to keep building that relationship. So yeah, that's I think that's probably the biggest the biggest thing that we talk to people about in especially a lot of our calls is, oh, I don't know if I need a funnel. It's like, you've already got one. It's just about whether you're going to fix it because, you know, small small leaks sink big sh- ships. And if you're not fixing it, goodbye business. Somebody else's. Yeah. 
fixing their own. And that's yeah. the problem. I, I feel that's the, the macro shift for everybody now is that 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, if you're in business, you maybe went to an expo or a conference and you met the buyers there and it was a captive audience. And then they took away the material and then they read the material back at the office and then they maybe made a phone call and then they bought something. That was how things were done. And we didn't really need a funnel in those days because it was a captive audience. That audience didn't sort of go around and start looking at Facebook videos of cats. They were very captive. And therefore, you, you can just do the content marketing and get away with it. The content marketing is, you know, creating a brochure on the stand at the expo and you would have got deals, you would have got leads. But what's happening now is that if I go to that event and I'm picking up your expo, I'm picking up your expo guide, walking away with this stuff. Monday morning, I've forgotten about you. Monday morning, I'm watching a video about somebody else doing the same thing. And then I maybe forget about this guy. And then because I've seen a post come up on LinkedIn for somebody else doing something. What it needs to be is your face and your voice in every single one of these, right? And that's the funnel aspect because now you're nudging that person towards it. And that's why, you know, that shift in the last 20 years has meant that all those people who have grown up if you like, with the old world of doing business, have now having to think about, oh, I've got a funnel now, what do I do? So hence, people like you are in the frame. But what I want to ask you, Alicia, is about this, you specifically in the funnel industry, you know, as we sort of like bring this to a head, that you are not a typical, if I may use this, funnel bro. It's an interesting. <laughs> I industry. shaved I mean, I, this morning before yeah. the interview. No beard. Yeah. The sound of the voice gives it away. But there, yeah. there's been that industry, hasn't there? For those that are kind of known, you mentioned some names already, but like the known the industry for some time, there's been a very strong avatar, isn't it? It's very masculine, very toxic, and sort of toxic masculinity about funnel bros. But there's some great people in there, by the way. Um, but it's right for change, isn't it? Why? I'm curious. Why? Why did it attract that certain type of person? And then how is it for you as a woman in that industry as well, sort of, you know, being quite outspoken as well? Mm. I'm sure you're a target now. <laughs> Start with That's the first fine. one. Why? Why why was it, you know, the beards and the the bros? I think I think honestly, I think a lot of it is representation. It's a lot of the early internet marketers and a lot of the the OG papa daddies of of this to direct direct response are all men. You know, so just initially, and, and a lot why? of it is a direct response can be hi quite hyperbolic. Don't forget women were only allowed to, to like have jobs and become managers like very recently, which means True. that our career opportunities, like we could only have a bank account from like what the 1970s or something. So early days. Well, it was but a bit before that, <laughs> but I get your point, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, there's, there's been limited things. And then direct response is a bit of a boys club. It just is. And um, hmm. I don't know if part of it is that direct response is very salesy and a lot of women have an hmm. aversion to feeling salesy. The purpose of direct response is to sell. And yeah, it's something that I would love to change because direct response is very powerful. And I work with a lot of women, female clients that are, that are really scared of being salesy, but also really scared of talking about how great they are. It's just, these are just things that women naturally deal with. It's often stems from childhood and how we're brought up. And I think, yeah, to answer your first question, that's why I think a lot of men are attracted to it. I think it's representation. I think that there's a lot more people that are digital marketers and the people in the info product space hmm. that are guys. And naturally it just brings in more guys to the club, the bro club. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a, a, an avatar based around that sales profession as well, as you said. It's interesting. You talk about women sales as well. Like some of the best salespeople I've met, I'm a sales guy um, by my sort of former life training, but the best ones I've met are, are women. Um, I don't want to get too deep into the women versus men in sales, but there is a difference. You know, you've mentioned it is that I think it's easier for men to get ahead in sales because it rewards a certain type of avatar. And yet the best ones tend to be the ones who aren't that avatar. Mm. who tend to have the confidence and yet they're good listeners. You know, there's that direct response world and a lot of sales, especially if you're in the, the what they call inside sales now, but it's cold calling in the day, is that, you know, that re rewarded people who just were quite thick-skinned and can just blaze through and pitch people, just pitch, 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 and numbers don't really care about the response. And so obviously, you know, you've alluded to it, your upbringing, like women's upbringings, they're not sort of encouraged to behave like that where men is probably given a bit longer leash on that, unfortunately. Um, but that sort of is reflected, isn't it, in the industry? But I guess, you know, whilst that's one thing, the important point is how does that now reflect in people who have the problem? You know, like how do I build funnels? Is that they then look at that industry and thinking, oh, yeah, there's yeah, a huge so, aversion to it. Like, ah, funnels, bleh, I don't need that. And, that's, not and that's, that's not me. And and it's and honestly, it didn't feel like us. That's why we didn't call like one of the when, in our brainstorm session, we did have another idea for the brand name, which was funnels, but with a PH. And we went, that's gonna, that's gonna be pretty fun. We're like, no, okay, no word funnels because <laughs> you're avoiding it then. You just <laughs> yeah. you gotta own it. You gotta say, yeah, right, yeah. we are funnels. And this is the this is the the interesting thing we went through um, taking this brand off the ground is that people have an aversion to funnels. We don't want to be lumped into that category, but at the same time, the marketplace knows it as funnels. So we're like, okay, we want to differentiate ourselves. We're going to call it persuasion experience. We're like, we're just going to create a new category because it is. You should really a funnel traditionally. You think it's step by step, and it's going to be the logical step by steps. But really, your persuasion experience is so much more. It's everything mm. that a, that a target market could potentially touch about your business. Everything from everything in your digital footprint, from the Google reviews you have online to what is your call to action in your footer. It's all of these tiny little details where you you really think about persuasion. And so the thing with funnels and whatever, like a funnel map is whatever. I'll give anybody a funnel map for free because it isn't about that so much. It's about the implementation of the assets and it's about understanding human psychology. That's what it all boils down to. And people get obsessed with the funnels, but like really like the funnel map is, is whatever. It's the human psychology and truly understanding mm. your target market and the problem that you solve for them. Mm. Yeah. I wonder as well that a lot of people probably come looking for the, the first Part, isn't it that they say I want this funnel and it's laid out like this because this is what the funnel bros talk about and I mm. want that maybe that's not your market maybe your market is the people who are more interested in consumer psychology you know, the, the why the 360 view of you know all that journey that customers mm. have I mean that would certainly appeal more to somebody who who may be running a larger enterprise as well I guess because you know they'll talk about customer journeys and they'll understand that it's probably a lot more complex because there's a lot of touch points as well between them and the customer. Mm, and I think the other, well, not I think, I know the other thing that people kind of think of our services as synonymously is CRO, conversion rate optimization. So everyone's quite obsessed with traffic, 
then conversion rate optimization. But conversion rate optimization or CRO, as I like to say for short, because it's easier for my math, is that that's optimizing something that already works. It's already working and you're getting like you're getting incremental fixes. Yeah. So people are kind of missing this core thing of offer creation of actually creating something to optimize. People want to skip over that part and start testing headlines and call to action buttons. But the thing is, the offer is the most important thing you're going to have. That's what you're asking somebody to take up. So imagine if you were a lawyer and you did, I don't know, like law, um, just any law we'll go with because I've really dug myself a hole and my lack of law, law knowledge. But if you had a, hey, get a quote, click here or get your first 30 minutes free with us and we're going to tell you how to win at court. We're going to tell you these five little known things about hiring a lawyer. We're going to tell you blah, blah, blah. Like, who are you going to go with? The person that just wants to give you a quote or the person that's going to give you immense value, whether you go ahead with them or not. Yeah, I like it. That's great advice. Think about that. Give it away. You've got to give before you get. That's the rule of the game, isn't it? And people are a little bit reticent to do that because they feel that they're giving away I secrets. Know. Yeah, yeah that's like, not what you're talking about. It's attention, isn't it? That's what yeah, it's yeah. about. If you've got their attention, you've got the most valuable thing in business today. Mm-hmm. And people, people don't realize how valuable say, that is. Oh, we don't want to. We don't want to give that away free. We don't want to give this information. I'm like, do you know what? I bet you struggle to even get your paying clients to do what you want. So like the people that are going to take your information and actually go and implement it, the free stuff, they're not your clients anyway. They might be one day because you've built this awesome stuff really. And this is the same for persuasion experience. We're more than happy to like give the information away for free because the people that watch it, they pay us because they don't want to do it themselves. They don't have the time. The busy business owner doesn't have the time. They just want to know that we can demonstrate that we can do it. So that's often my answer to that objection. Oh, we don't want to give that away for free. Yeah, it comes from a different world, though, a different era, a different time, mm-hmm. which I will remember fondly. But that's how people, you know, it's, it's the pre-internet mindset, pre-digital, and it's still around. So yeah. like giving the stuff away for free, it feels like, I mean, yes, you're going to get the competition who get hold of it. Yes, you're going to get the tire kickers who will take that for free anyway, but it, you're not speaking to them. You're yeah. speaking to that group who, as you say, you say, right, I read your stuff. I believe in you. I trust you. Let's do this. So that is the key here is like speaking to that very defined audience who may not necessarily, you know, spend enough time on your website if you didn't give away this stuff or didn't give away the three, you know, the exactly. 30 minute consultation. All right. I'm just want to round this up because what I really like about what you do, Alicia, is you're very outspoken. You are a face and a voice in an industry, a refreshing face and voice in an industry that is changing. Um, I'm wondering is that, do you feel that you get criticism for being quite outspoken or for who you are? I mean, I'm not, you know, the industry very well. Have you had any, received any pushback? Um, really more to, you know, as an advice to other business owners who are going down that journey and thinking about, exposing themselves to the world and it's a bit vulnerable isn't it what what do you found putting yourself out there yeah so number one it probably helps that i don't care and <laughs> and, and i'm a market there is no number two now that's it <laughs> and, <laughs> that's end, and end of podcast because <laughs> as a marketer 
I know it's better to be polarizing. And I also know that I know my shit. Like I spend hours studying. I've done the sets and the reps. Like I'm not worried and I'm happy to be humbled and learn something new if someone does have something that's contrary to what I'm saying. But I also understand it's really scary to put yourself out there. So if, you know, if I was to say, oh, every time I do this, like I don't have a little bit of anxiety or think, oh my gosh, like someone's disagreed with me, but that's good. I want that. I want engagement and I want to spark conversation. And I would love, I would rather be loved or hated than for people to be neutral about me. I can't think of anything worse than someone's that's like indifferent, like, oh, Alicia, yeah, she's all right. I'd either want people that are passionate, like, oh my God, Alicia, she's awesome. Or not could do without it. And that's fine because I'll repel the people that are not my crew and I'll bring the people in closer. So I know that's easier said than done, but just do it. Like imagine living a life wondering or or wishing that's like living a life and then you regret something at the end. That's my biggest fear. So yeah, it's good to be uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. The only way to live it and great, you know, for those listening, the idea of being loved as opposed to liked, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. A hundred loves is worth a million likes because those people are your fans, aren't they? They'll support you and they'll be your customers. They'll be the referral channels for you. Whereas people who like you, you might as well be invisible. So they'll never remember. But if you polarize people, you take a position, you make difference. And the flip side of of that is you have to have the criticism as well. You have to face it. Uh, I like the idea of, you know, you saying, oh, I'm a little bit, nervous about doing something but that's a good sign it is it it means you're pushing yourself yeah yeah Yeah, natural and i get worried when i'm not nervous about things because i well i love public speaking so i know i'm not um very relatable in some aspects i love getting up early and i love public speaking sometimes that alienates a bunch of people but um you've got to do things that make you feel like that there's it's very cliche but there's no growth in your comfort zone you know unless you're pushing yourself to be better otherwise you stagnate which is basically dying. Great. As they say, do pigeons shit on the heads of statues of critics? <laughs> no, because they don't build <laughs> statues to critics, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's it. You've got to accept it. You've got to weather it. What a journey. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Alicia. There's a lot I think you share with the world in terms of your, you know, your approach as well to building funnels, which is great. Um, you know, I think people would learn a lot from spending a bit of time with you and learning about that. I know you give away, you're very generous with your content as well. You give away your content and I'll give you the, the, the platform to shout out where people can get more of that in a minute. But also you as an individual, I think is a big part of this story. Um, I know you're a dynamic duo, the two founders, but you in the public face as well is out there humanizing the world of funnels and making it approachable as well so people can understand it in a a better way. So with that in mind, where do people go? Where do we find out more about you? And tell us also what we can get from you. You know, they're going to be tire kickers. Yeah, fine, for sure. But it's not that group. It's the group that want to kind of learn and get educated and, you know, find out a bit more about how you operate in the backstory. So where do we go? Awesome. So any of the main or the, the the big social media channels I'm on under my name, Alicia Conlon Heard. So LinkedIn, please drop me a line, YouTube. And I'm about to unlock a new channel for the business, Twitter. Yes. I've had an aversion for it ever since, but 
I'm unlocking it. So come and join me on my journey <laughs> while I figure out that social media channel is going to be fun. And uh, of course, our website, persuasionexperience.com. But what we do for anybody who is interested, we do free PX funnel sessions. So basically we look through what you're currently doing in your marketing and we'll tell you what the strategy is. And then you can go ahead with us or not, but our goal is always to leave people with value. So we'll walk through and we'll find the leaks in your funnel and we'll talk to you about how to make a good offer. And if you'd like to take that up, you can do it through the website. Yeah, that's good value. No obligation. No, I don't even really harass people to follow them up. We don't have a big team yet. So people just kind of drop into our laps at the moment. So harassment free, no restraining <laughs> orders needed. Yeah. How about that? And you'll learn something whether you Abs- go home with it or not. You'll get all my unsolicited advice. So come on yeah, down. Yeah. So that is an opportunity and a threat as well. Beware because <laughs> she's a straight talker. Yeah. Alicia, it's been great having you on the podcast. Really enjoyed this. We'll put all the details in the show notes where people can find out more about you. Really looking forward to how this journey is going, getting out there and, you know, building your community, your tribe of people who are on board with this journey as well. So wishing you all the best. That's Alicia Conlin Heard, everybody. Alicia, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Graham. You've been listening to the XL Podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.